Hello, my name is Wang Yan, and I'm a reporter with News China. With our weekly News China podcast, we aim to give insight into the trends and happenings in modern China through a historical lens. Today, we discuss how animals, as a diplomatic gift, brokered peace and conflicts in ancient China. On August twenty-first. The Smithsonian's National Zoo in Washington D.C. celebrated the first birthday of panda cub Xiaoqiji, which translates to "little miracle." The zoo had held an online contest where the public could vote on the list of names. He shared not one but two delicious frosical cakes with his mother, Mei Xiang. The zoo said on its website. The cub's birth definitely comes as a little miracle during the COVID-19 pandemic and tensions between China and the U.S. Qin Gang, Chinese ambassador to the U.S., who took office three weeks prior, said in a video posted on his Twitter account that the panda cub truly added a splash of color to the exchanges between Chinese and American people. He wished good health, happiness. And more miracles for the panda cub. The first pair of pandas, Lingling and Xingxing, arrived in the National Zoo in April 1972, three months after former U.S. President Richard Nixon's historic visit to China. The first live panda arrived in the West in 1937 in the U.S. It was brought there by Ruth Harkness, a fashion designer and New York socialite. She traveled to China after her husband, William Harkness, died from throat cancer in Shanghai to continue his search for a living panda. She eventually acquired a male panda cub and named him Suling. The Brookfield Zoo in Chicago bought Suling for about eight thousand eight hundred U.S. dollars. Suling died in nineteen thirty-eight. Giant pandas soon captivated imaginations in the West. By 1941, nine pandas were brought to the U.S. Floyd Tangier Smith, known as Panda Man, brought six living pandas to the U.K. between 1936 and 1938. Some pandas died on the long journey. In 1868, a French priest, Armand David, saw a panda skin in a villager's home in the mountains of Sichuan Province in China's southwest. He then enlisted a hunter to trap a panda, which he planned to ship to France, but the panda died when it arrived in Chengdu, the capital of Sichuan. He later had it stuffed and gave it to Henry Millen Edward, a zoologist at the French National Museum of Natural History in Paris. Edwards thought it resembled a red panda, just much bigger, so he called it a giant panda. It was later determined they are from different taxonomic families. Giant pandas are actually more closely related to bears than red pandas. In the 1940s, China's nationalist government, led by the Kuomintang, realized the importance of protecting pandas and prohibited foreigners from hunting them. After the establishment of the People's Republic of China in 1949. Pandas became a diplomatic gift.
Historically, animals have played significant roles in China's foreign relations. Sometimes they were gifts, like pandas. Sometimes they started wars. For example, in our previous podcast, we talked about lions gifted to Chinese emperors from Central and Western Asian kingdoms along the Silk Road in the late second century. The beast later became an important symbol in Chinese culture, although its stylized image is more cute than ferocious. Another animal that once served as a national gift was the giraffe, as Asians believed it to be a tiling, a mythical and auspicious creature on par with the unicorn in Western cultures. In 1412, a Ming diplomatic delegation arrived in the Bengal Sultanate, today's Bangladesh, to offer the Ming emperor's condolences to the death of the former king and recognition of the newly crowned one. The delegation saw giraffes there and was told they were called jiri in the local language. To them, this sounded like tiling. It also somewhat resembled the mythical creature. Which has a deer's body and the tail of an ox. The leaders of the delegation, Hou Xian and Yang Nin, may have told the new king about their theory, because when the Chinese delegation returned to China two years later, the new king made sure to gift one to the Ming Emperor Yongle. Emperor Yongle was very happy. Qilin's symbolized a dynasty's prosperity and good governance. The Ming was prosperous under Emperor Yongle's rule, but Emperor Yongle had usurped the throne from his rightful heir, his nephew Emperor Jianwen. He thought having a Qilin could help legitimize his claim to the throne. He ordered his court artists to paint the animal and scholar Shen Du to write an article extolling the event. Several reproductions still exist. One is kept in the Philadelphia Museum of Art, while another was auctioned in Tokyo in 2015. As giraffes are native to Africa, the Bengal king may have regifted the giraffes he had received from African kings. In 1405, Emperor Yongle sent a huge fleet to explore the Western Pacific and Indian Oceans. Kicking off China's short-lived age of exploration, led by famed explorer Zheng He, the fourth expedition, which set sail after the first giraffe arrived in China, took the fleet to the east coast of Africa for the first time. Zheng He met with envoys from Malindi, a kingdom in what is now Kenya, who had brought with them many exotic gifts, including giraffes. They gave one to Zheng He. Who presented it to the emperor in 1415? The following year, Malindi sent another giraffe to Emperor Yongle as a gift. Zheng He's fleet reached as far as the Cape of Good Hope in South Africa. In 1433, the fleet completed the seventh and also the last expedition financed by Emperor Yongle's successor, Emperor Xuande. Since then. Maritime trips and trade were banned. Animals sometimes sparked wars. In the late second century BCE, during the Western Han Dynasty, Zhang Qian, imperial diplomat to kingdoms in Central and West Asia, told.
told Emperor Wu about a breed of very strong horses in a kingdom called Da Yuan in the Fagana Valley, which stretches through today's Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, and Kyrgyzstan. They run much faster and longer than Chinese horses, and said to run so fiercely that they will sweat blood. The legend has a bit of science behind it. The horse has very fire, almost transparent-looking skin. These makes their blood vessels more defined and visible. Their sweat glands around their neck and shoulders have developed to tint their sweat with a reddish hue, which darkens their hair, creating the illusion that they are bleeding. These inspire the Chinese name Han Xue Ma, or horses that sweat blood. In fact, the horses are Akatats, a Turkmen horse breed known for its unmatched speed and endurance. Emperor Wu, who enjoyed horses and had an extensive stable, was immediately fascinated. Strong horses were also strategically important for his army, which at the time was fighting the nomadic Huns in their strong cavalry. He not only thought the horses in Dayuan could give him the edge he needed in battle, but also believed they were magic and called them horses from the heavens. Wu had to have them. He sent a delegation to Dayuan with treasures, including a full-scale statue of a horse made of gold. But the Dayuan king refused and turned a cold shoulder to the Han delegation. He had his reasons. The horse was not only precious resource for the Dayuan, but the kingdom was also a Han alley. In addition, Dayuan was far from the Western Han and did not fear retaliation. The Western Han envoy Che Ling was angry and shared the gold horse in the Dayuan king's presence. On his way back to Han, he was killed and the treasures were looted by Dayuan's soldiers. Emperor Wu was furious. He ordered General Li Guangli, who was also the brother of his favorite concubine, to attack Dayuan. But it is very difficult to supply Li Guangli's troops over such a long distance. The army was forced to return before they even arrived in Dayuan. By the time they reached Dunhuang on the western edges of the dynasty's borders, most of his soldiers had died from hunger, thirst, or fatigue. Li Guangli requested to call off the attack against Dayuan. Emperor Wu was furious and prohibited Li and his remaining troops from entering Yumen Pass, a crucial outpost to the east of Dunhuang. Then the emperor mobilized more troops with food carried by cattle, horses, camels, and mules and ordered Li Guangli to attack Dayuan again. This time, the Western Han won. The Dayuan king, known as Wu Gua, in Chinese historic records, was later killed in a coup by the aristocracy who then surrendered to the Han. Li Guangli brought dozens of sweat blood horses back to the Western Han, along with about 3,000 other good horses. However, breeding proved difficult in their new home, so good starlings were always in high demand. But as the Dayuan campaign showed, war was not a long-term solution. Trade along the Silk Road was a much more viable way for China to acquire stallions from Central Asia. Silk was exchanged for stallions 
no violence necessary. Silk later came to symbolize peace. Silk itself is produced by a tiny animal, silkworms. As silk was China's most important export for thousands of years, silk making was a carefully guarded secret. Silkworms and their habitat, mulberry trees, were banned from export. Ancient Greeks and Romans once believed that silk was made from golden fleece that grew on a special tree in China. A few hundred years after silk road trade began in the late second century BCE, they finally learned of silk's wormy origins. Exactly how silk production was smuggled out of ancient China is still a mystery. Just as silk symbolized peace. Pandas are still given as national gifts. Hopefully, they will also bring peace and avoid conflicts. That is end of our podcast. Thank you to our writer Zhang Yue, editor and translator Li Jia, and copy editor. That is end of our podcast. Thank you to our writer Song Yimin, editor and translator Li Jia, and copy editor JT. We hope you enjoyed it. And thank you for listening. See you next week.